0: This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's Community Access Media Organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we
1: play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. There is nothing wrong with your radio. Do not attempt to adjust the frequency. We are controlling transmission. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limit frequency. Good evening, my name is Ricardo and this is the AdLimit Frequency. Given that modern music appears to be in a constant state of cross-pollination, it's hard to recall a time when different genres kept their distance from one another. A quick look at the charts over the past few years reveals hip-hop producers slumming it with indie bands, rappers living out their rock and roll dreams, or even winning country music awards. It's weird, yet refreshing. Because of course this was not always the case. Back in the early 80s, rock and hip-hop were treated like mortal enemies, and if it had not been for a few enterprising souls, this oppositional stance might have carried on indefinitely. On tonight's episode, I'll be looking at an unlikely marriage made in heaven when rap met rock. It should come as no surprise that the earliest step towards a collaboration between these styles came from the hip-hop side of the equation. In 1984, rock was bloated and had worn out any welcome it had in popular culture, but hip-hop was still in its infancy, and the early participants worked with whatever they could get their hands on. Like Run DMC, who caused waves with a song called Rock Box that didn't sound quite like what everybody else was doing at the time. And it wasn't long before LL Cool J released Rock the Bells so that had some similar ideas, and it was also successful. Because it turns out that the easiest way for early rap artists to make it big was by aping rock's most lizard brain pleasing element, the guitar riff. Objectively it was only a very small innovation within the genre, but it was one that had far reaching consequences. The result was an edgier sound coming from urban America that hit harder than ever before and could potentially reach a completely new audience, even if it may not actually appeal to them necessarily. And since I've been talking for quite a while now, I think it's high time we acknowledge those two tracks I mentioned earlier. Rockbox by Run DMC, which will be followed by LL Cool J's Rock the Bells.
0: Run, run DMC bye, 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 for you, for you fresh, 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 yeah. fresh, fresh
1: Rap and rock crossing over into each other's yards was even an option as proof that the division between them was flimsy, or at least malleable. When I say malleable, I'm referring to things like the eternally curious case of the Beastie Boys. The Brooklyn Trio started life as a hardcore band that had mostly transitioned into a hip-hop outfit by the time their debut album was released, but they still retained some of that punk energy on songs like No Sleep Till Brooklyn not only was it a direct reference to motorhead's no sleep till hammersmith album but slayer guitarist kerry king was recruited to bolster the song with additional riffs and solos this crossing over of the metaphorical picket line was orchestrated by rick Rubin, who at the time was producing records for both bands But it also caused a fair bit of backlash in the metal community, and some diehards went so far as to physically threaten Ruben for besmirching one of their heroes with all of this rap nonsense, which is pretty ironic, given that both rock and metal had suffered the same level of scrutiny in the not-too-distant past. 1986 wasn't that long ago in the grand scheme of things, but anecdotes like that are enough to remind me that it wasn't so recent either. Here are the Beastie Boys with No Sleep Till Brooklyn.
2: No Sleep Till... (laughs) Peace. <laughs>
1: ever going to be a group that could find common ground between hip-hop and heavy metal specifically it was always going to be public enemy with a keen interest in social issues and plenty of unvented rage to channel chuck d and crew were bound to figure it out which they did on their 1988 single she watched channel zero the song samples slayer's angel of death which is far more audacious than it might sound at first Slayer's Reign Rain in Blood album had been denied distribution by Columbia Records due to some of its lyrical content, mostly the references to Nazi war crimes one would imagine. But take one guess at who distributed It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, the album from which she watched Channel Zero was taken? Columbia Records, of course. Trust Public Enemy to find new ways to stick it to the man. You're blind, baby. You're blind from the facts Oh who you are because you're watching that garbage.
3: The woman makes the men all pause. And if you got a woman, she might make you forget yours. There's a five letter words that describe her character. But her brain being washed by an actor. And every real man that tries to approach comes a close that comes, it gets just like a rope. I don't think I can handle she goes channel to channel, home looking for that hero. She watched channel zero. She watched, she watched, she watched.
2: zero see
3: Two, seven, five, four, eight, she watched She said "All will add it up to zero nothing in her head She turns and turns and she hopes the soap All for real, she learns that it ain't true, no nope. But she won't survive and rather die than lie For the food for some dude on the tube I don't think I can handle She go channel to channel Cold looking for that hero She watched Channel Zero She yeah. watched, she watched, she watched, I- she watched She watched, she watched, she watched, she watched, want,
4: she, she watched c
1: As demonstrated by the track so far, New York's hip-hop wasn't afraid to make moves towards sounding more rock, but over in California, rock bands found a new groove that was inspired by hip-hop's idiosyncrasies. Basslines were getting funkier, drums were tight in the pocket, and vocals were becoming noticeably more rapped. Fishbone, No Doubt, and Suicidal Tendencies were prominent players in that movement to make rock reach out to hip-hop to find the rejuvenated new sound they were lacking. And obviously the most famous of this cohort was Red Hot Chili Peppers, admittedly in quite a different form than they are today, and with a very different attitude. Back in 1984, the original Funk Punks made a splash with their debut album it was a raw expression of a band that would take decades to mould itself into the chart-topping rock aristocracy they are now but all the way back at the start all they wanted to do was get up and jump this is red hot chili peppers with get up and jump
0: Just stand all sitting still. I think I wanna follow, it's getting a thrill. I think a little lesson from the kangaroo. And you know that jumping boots
5: on you jumping not back, give a back, the back, in the And jump
0: your pants.
1: Faith No More had been around for quite some time before hitting it big with the track Epic in 1989, but in more embryonic forms and with less famous names, they had been around that same California punk rap rock scene as the Chili's, and they toiled away in several rapidly changing formats, releasing two-ish albums with singer Chuck Mosley before he left the band in 1988. The real thing was the debut of the Mike Patton-led classic lineup. Which only held up to three years before longtime guitarist Jim Martin also left the band under apathetic circumstances. With the departures of Mosley and Martin, the revamped Faith No More were untethered from their rap rock roots. Thusly, I still regard Epic as the pinnacle of this band's potential, any version of the band at that, of producing a rap rock home run. Epic indeed, gentlemen. Epic indeed. <laughs>
5: And it doesn't matter anyway. You will never understand it because it happens to fast. And it feels so good inside. Walking the glass. It's so good, cool, so hip, it's alright.
0: It's so groovy, it's out of sight. You can touch it, smell it, pieces so sweet. But it makes no difference because it's not your
1: Seriously, what was in the water in California in the 80s? Because the Golden State was churning out high-energy, hard-hitting, funky rap rock music through into the early 90s, which is obviously when a band like the Machine comes into the conversation. And it wasn't just Zack's ability to drop heavy bars, it wasn't the vocal defiance they learned from the hip-hop brethren on the opposite coast, because hip-hop was an instrumental part of the band's DNA. Guitarist Tom Morello based his approach to his instrument less around holding down a riff, although it turns out he was pretty great at that, but more of how a DJ would accentuate a song. This included but was not limited to Morello's scratching his guitar strings like they were a record on a turntable. And one of the most famous examples of this technique appears on People of the Sun from Evil Empire.
4: Uh, Face up on this one. Check it. Since 1516, minds attacked and overseen. Now crawl amongst the ruins of the 50s with their borders and boots I top of us, pulling out on the floor of the toxic metropolis. But how you gonna get what you need to get? The gut eaters, trash, get offensive like that. The fifth sunset get back from flame. That spirit of fire, more alive on a flame. Now face the fall, now blasting out your speaker.
1: interesting that one of the most beloved and fondly remembered rap rock or indeed rap metal albums of all time belonged to no single artist. Rather it was the soundtrack to an extremely forgettable action crime movie called Judgment Night. Now I could not tell you for the life of me what this movie is, who was in it or what it was about without looking it up. But I can tell you that for 1993 the soundtrack was absolute fire. Every song was a collaboration between a rock and a hip hop artist. We're talking about Sonic Youth, Faith No More, Pearl Jam, Helmet, and Biohazard, working alongside House of Pain, Cypress Hill, De La Soul, and Booyah Tribe, just to name a few. And hey, look, it's those Run DMC chaps I've heard so much about, teaming up with boundary-pushing rockers living color on me, myself, and my microphone. Yeah! While the episode to this point has focused entirely on the goings-on in America, rap and rock were getting nasty together all over the place. Bands like Clawfinger and Urban Dance Squad made their names around Europe with a style that was influenced by their American counterparts, while still providing a local flavor that was entirely their own. And the exact same story was playing out in South America, South Africa, Australia, and even here in New Zealand. The massive commercial and critical successes of Raging's Machine in the early 90s had a profound effect on the popularity of this hybrid style, especially in England. And of those new British groups with an equal taste for rhymes and riffs, Censor were the most prominent. Founded by an ethnically diverse group of talent, the London-based Quintet performed with everybody from Osric Tentacles to Skunk and Nancy to Moby, and still exists to this day. And while Sensor weren't too well known overseas, those early British rap rock bands had a direct influence on the following generations of rappers and grime artists. And from their very first album back in 94, this is Sensor with Switch.
5: Give me a couple of minutes and I'm going to show you all it
1: I think it's safe to say that the history of collaboration between rap and rock is vastly more complex than I've been able to present to you here on this episode. I only have so much time to work with, you know. If only some enterprising soul would be kind enough to attempt to summarize the entire saga for me. Oh hi, handsome boy modeling school. Yes, the alternative hip-hop duo from the early 2000s had done just that, as they were uniquely positioned for such a task. Headed up by two well-traveled DJs, the group's two albums liberally feature guest artists from both sides of the conversation, which is why this album was my personal entry point into the wide world of hip-hop. On their White People album, Handsome Boy offer a brief overview of Rap Rock's history on the track, Rock and Roll Could Never Hip-Hop Like This, and they brought some big names to the party. Jazzy J, Razelle, Grand Wizard Theodore, aka the godfather of record scratching, and... Linkin Park white people as a strange album, y'all.
3: I am the original DJ Jazzy J from the mighty, mighty Zoo Nation. Hey, first, first, um, say my name is
0: um, original Scratch creator, was a Theodore. For those who don't know, I started back
3: out in 74. Africa Bambada, Disco King Mario, <laughs> Cool Hurt, Grandmaster Crash, and you know, some of the pioneers that did it back then, you know? The hip-hop is universal, man. It all depends upon what you're doing. Hip-hop is like what you would call the
0: bastard child of a lot of different forms of music. I just feel good that a lot of rock bands are like like
5: recognizing, you know, the culture.
3: We used to play these beats because
0: they used to drive us on the dance floor. And people don't really know that as a rock record until like the guitars come in and stuff like that. We didn't have no hip-hop beats back in the days We had to take it from everywhere we could get it from they are just trying to take it to another level That's what keeps the music new
5: and keeps it fresh As far as, you know, rock is concerned, man I think rock is, you know, a big part of hip-hop, man
3: Rock helped influence hip-hop Hip-hop helped influence the world
0: you click spray your face when i spit i mean it you're just too conceited repeating and repeating Thugged out gangster pimp till you believe it. Seems like there's too much pock, we don't need it. I'm cool on your heat, you can keep it. It's not a big secret. This is a game you can't win. You're singing the same thing, but we're bringing the end. So just close your eyes and pretend again that your skin isn't as thin as the skin you're in, bitch. Give me a second just to spell it out so no body can twist what I'm talking about. I don't have to fake anything I feel because we both know every word is real. So give me a
4: second just to spell it out so no body can can twist what i'm talking about i don't have to fake
0: anything i feel because we both know every word is real right about now the funk soul brother check it out now the funk soul brother right about now the funk soul brother check it out now the funk so brother i got the skills of titanium straight to the cranium try to play me and we can go to war like iranians the deep tap, i speak rap as long as the beat back my shit'll be off the meat rack lord finesse don't harass the guards spit four bars and piss on like half the squad sort the of savage i don't give back i don't harass the few niggas playing Russian roulette with automatic see on the street i'm top of rank three words when i get the dice stop the bank better against me You'll get your cash looking even my street team Promote luck with ass woofers Hard-headed, handsome boys The large niggas The type of sports chicks On the arm like John Ritter The bomb, niggas Be this fat in the third Better play like Jehovah Witness And spread the word Spread the word
1: They taught me to look beyond the superficial at the handsome boy model school. One of the things that I look for in a woman is, you know, personality. And I look
0: for a sense of humor. And, you know, knockers. I'm just
1: kidding. Like I said, I, I used to look at a woman's, you know, chestal area first. I mean, the things that I look for now is I look for a woman with money. I look for a woman with long legs. Whereas before I used to focus on knockers or uh, wait one second, my illegitimate son is here. Yes? Yes son. I want you want one of these? Well you have to go to the handsome boy modeling School and you can get one. Okay? Okay, Daddy's gotta work some more now. You go back over there and sit in the trailer. Now, in the saga of When Rap Met Rock, there is one key name that has been conspicuous in its absence thus far from the episode, or rather, one key letter. The impact that Ice-T's body count had on hip-hop, gangster rap, and rap metal is truly incalculable. Which begs the question, what inspired a successful, well-respected rapper from Jersey to start fronting a full-blown metal band? Well, I reckon we let Ice-T explain that one in his own words, just before absolutely blitzkrieging a cover of Raining Blood. Ice,
5: explain Body Count.
0: Body Count is a band I put together just to let one of my best friends, Ernie C, play his guitar. He's always been playing guitar. We all went to Crenshaw High School together in South Central Los Angeles. And I had the idea, let's make a metal band. Let's make a rock band. Because I had been to Europe and I noticed that the kids would mosh... of hip-hop. So we put the band together and I used the three bands that were my favorites at the time to set the tone. We used the impending doom of a group like Black Sabbath, who pretty much invented metal. The punk sensibility of somebody like Suicidal, who basically put that gangbanger style from Venice, California into the game. And the speed and the precision of Slayer, one of my favorite groups and always will be.
1: Thank you for tuning in once again to The Outer Limit Frequency. We have many, many episodes available on Spotify, and we would love it if you checked some of them out. You will probably find something to your flavor that is almost guaranteed. And please make sure you join me for next week's episode as I take a deep dive on a very special record, Real Gone by Tom Waves from 2005. I'll see you then.